Ephesians chapter 2, a few verses we're going to read together. Ephesians chapter 2. From the first verse. And you who made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being, all, uh, being alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. Amen. This is the reading of the word of God. I'm sure, like me, you enjoy coming together like that like this. You enjoy these occasions when we're able to meet together, such occasions as the district prayer meetings. And I remember when they were very big at one time, don't you? Mm-hmm. Used to be nearly a hundred of us gathered. It was wonderful. And we enjoy when we go to the, I suppose, the association annual meetings and things like GBM annual meetings. It reminds us of the riches of God's mercy to us all. And it is that which creates that unique bond that unites us, something non-Christians know absolutely nothing about. They don't know this wonderful thing. And even when our children uh, go to Sunday school or camp, I think they know there is something very special about them. Though, of course, they may not be actually able to say what it is, but there is something there that makes it different to all other things. There's a dimension there. And when they meet together in Sunday school and camps, and when we come like this evening, and on other occasions when we all meet together, there's a great sense, isn't there, of oneness. However, to enrich those things that we experience because of our oneness in Christ, It's good to remember the way we once were. To remember what we were like before we were converted. As Isaiah says in chapter 5 and verse 1, Look to the rock 
from which we were cut unto the quarry from which you were hewn. Now, in order to do that, I want to direct your attention to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And obviously, for the time at our disposal, we cannot look at them in any great depth. I've been reading a, a second volume of the biography of Martin Lloyd-Jones. Well, none of his sermons were ever short, were they? <laughs> Somebody said he should go and broadcast new radio. He said, oh, no, I would never do. I would run over my time. Well, we haven't got enough time to examine them in depth. But we can benefit even from a short study of these first five verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Of course, we remember... And it's important to remember this, that in the Greek text of the epistle, there are neither verse numbers or chapters. An Ephesian believer reading Paul's epistle would not have found a break in Paul's writing designated as chapter 2. The writing simply flowed on. It was always in long columns. Verse numbers and chapter numbers were added by English translators to make things easier for us. However... That means we can sometimes, we can easily forget what has gone before, and sometimes the breaks are maybe not always as good as they might be. But in other words, what is written and what we know is chapter 2 continues what Paul was saying in the previous one, and especially the last verses of chapter 1. In those verses, Paul was speaking about the resurrection of Christ, and that and that God made him, the Lord Jesus Christ, over all things, especially his body, which is what? The church, isn't it? Caught you napping, you see? Yeah, his body, the church. Then it is that Paul turns his attention to the Ephesians, whose believers from the, form the church. And it is with that with what Paul says in verses 1 to 5 that we're going to think about. In verses 1 to 3, Paul speaks of the way they were. Then in verses 4 and 5, he writes of what they have become. And you really only appreciate the beauty of verses 4 and 5 when you think of what has gone on and what is said in verses 1 and 2. It's what's said there that so enriches verses 4 and 5. So, the way the Ephesians and we once were. Paul says they were dead in their transgressions and sins. They were spiritually dead. You remember that in the Garden of Eden, God warned Adam that the day he took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would die. However, in spite of that warning, Adam disobeyed God and took the fruit and died. Spiritually, of course. He did not die in a physical sense, but as soon as he did take the fruit, then he began in himself to experience what would eventually lead to his death, but he died spiritually. His friendship, his wonderful communion and fellowship with God that he could walk with God in the cool of the evening and speak with him face to face, that was gone, finished. And furthermore, because Adam is the first created person, all other people since born inherit spiritual death. 
Paul had already said that in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, and this is what he says, for as an Adam all die, that is to say all inherit spiritual death, which ultimately results, of course, in physical death. And it's precisely because of this that we need to pray, brothers and sisters, I can't stress it too much, for the quickening power of the Holy Spirit of God. To be at work while we preach the gospel, the evangelism. The ungodly are not seriously ill in a hospital. They're a corpse in the morgue because they're spiritually dead. And it's because of that fact that Paul in verse 5 of Ephesians 2 says of the believers at Ephesus that God made them alive in Christ. Why did he say that? Because they had been dead, spiritually dead. And it is for that reason that Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, and here again, crucial for you to remember this, the unbeliever cannot understand spiritual things. So when you're talking to a person who's not a believer and they're struggling to understand what you're saying, you have to realize why that's so. They cannot understand spiritual things because they're without spiritual life. Spiritual things, you see, they're not natural to an unbeliever. They're not natural at all. They need to be applied by the Holy Spirit. And that's why we must urgently pray that the Holy Spirit will convict the sinner of the need of a Savior. As you know, our Tim is, he will be tomorrow at Bromley Market, and he has a lot of contacts. He was sharing with me one just the other day in a, in a most wonderful way. I have to be careful not to go down Bypass Meadow, as I'm saying this, but I, I want to share it with you. There's a man who sells flowers there, and he's actually from Belfast. And he's been brought up, and he knows all about orangeism and all that sort of thing. And Tim said to me, Dad, I was just talking to him, and he said to him, Tim said to Tim, you know, I think I'm going to hell. Well, well, Tim said, oh, well, we'll meet up, and we'll talk about this sort of thing. I know this man myself, and you'd have to be there to appreciate the surprise. He's in many ways at least the last person you might think that God would be working in us. But we shouldn't think like that, of course. And Tim and I share together every Monday. We meet together for prayer, and he talks about the context that he has, a whole regular lot. And, of course, he often says, of course, Dad, all you and I can do is pray for them. <laughs> and that's why we must urgently pray for the Holy Spirit. That is why we must pray that he will convict the sinner of their need of a saviour. Why should any sinner repent if he doesn't feel any need to do so? In John 16, verse 18, verse 8, speaking of the work of the Holy Spirit, we read these words. When he has come, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. 
Again, it's crucial that we understand this and pray for the Holy Spirit to work in this way. However, not only were the Ephesians dead in trans transgressions and sins, they were also, according to verse 3, like the rest, by nature, objects of wrath. Now, there is some, something you don't hear every day. You were, by nature, objects of wrath. You do not hear it often because it's an unpalatable truth. Even believers at times have difficulty in accepting that fact that the ungodly are obje objects of wrath. And so many of them would be utterly shocked and amused at uh, the great Jonathan Edwards once preached a sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Powerful preaching it was. And God used it to bring many to himself. You see, the problem for some believers, uh, the idea of the ungodly being objects of God's wrath, well, it, it unsettles uh, this sort of uh, nice, comfortable feelings that they have about God, forgetting that God is concerned with his holiness and justice. Sinners are opposed to him and disregard his laws in spite of the fact that they are given for their blessing. In the light of that, does God not have a right to be wrathful? Is that not so? He is. He does. And we sometimes forget that. We don't take pleasure in saying these things. And it's true sometimes in the past. Some believers will have the relish in the idea of people going to hell. I have a friend whose son uh, turned out to be gay. And as soon as that was made known, my friend who's in college with me, he said, I had phone calls and he said, doesn't he know he's going to burn in hell? And it seemed as if they almost were rejoicing in that fact. Instead of being disturbed and praying. And you see, God's product, of course, is a product of his righteousness. God's wrath is a product of his righteousness. An aspect of his holy character. Sin and lawlessness are an affront to God, and he must react to it. If God were not so to act, then his law would be without value, and humanity could live as they please. In Romans chapter 13, Paul's Paul, you know, speaking of the magistrates, says this about them. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. In other words, offending the law of Rome has consequences, so also those offending God's law. And that's serious. And we need to keep that in mind. Well, I, of course, so much for the way they were and we were. Now we come, of course, to the transformation. In 2 Samuel 23, we find these words in verse 3. Speaking of David, God says, When one rules over men in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he's like the light of morning at sunrise. On a cloudless morning, 
like the brightness of the rain that brings the grass from the earth. And here now, in Ephesians chapter 2, 4 and 5, here's the sunrise. The darkness is driven away. Here it is. But because of his great love for us. And here's sunshine after the darkness. Here these glorious words. Notice the words, but because of his great love for us. The wrath of God doesn't exclude the love of God. These two attributes are held together, as we see in this portion. They are complementary to one another. Wrath is the vindication of law, since law is only valuable if its breach has consequences. If it doesn't, then the law is meaningless. But it does. Now, alongside that is God's love. The love that is the counterbalance of wrath. And God's love did something for us. Hallelujah. But what did God's love do for us? Paul said it made us alive in Christ. In other words, it gave us spiritual life even when we were dead in transgressions. In fact, it was because we were spiritually dead that of course though we needed to be resurrected, as it were. As Christ was raised from the dead, so every believer, you and I here this evening, all of us here believers, we've been raised to life, to spiritual life. And furthermore, because of that, we have been transformed. It's not so. And it's because of that that we feel joy in the company of other believers. It's the new life that enriches everything we do. It is this wonderful transformation that gives us a sense of oneness. Where every, with every believer we meet, when we meet a fellow Christian, there's a lot about them we probably don't know. But when they're a believer, well, you know something about them already. Yeah, you know they've been resurrected in the life of Christ. They've experienced this wonderful, glorious resurrection brought to spiritual life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what unites us, isn't it? That ungodly people know nothing about they can't enter into this oneness that we have when we meet a fellow believer. Something right away we identify with. And others on this that we're talking about, of course, is simply what? The good news of the gospel. That there is a way to escape the wrath of God, the death of Christ. In other words, God himself made the way to escape his wrath. He bore the penalty of God's wrath. And we, through faith in him, when we come to call upon him as our savior, at that moment we are then declared not guilty. Hallelujah, and I trust if you're a believer. You rejoice in these great things. So then, we rejoice this evening 
that we're not what we once were. Dead to sins. Strangers. Aliens cut off. But now we are alive in Christ Jesus. And it is that that we rejoice in when we meet together with our fellow believers as I meet with you this evening. There's a wonderful bond with us instantly and we rejoice in the goodness of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. For him who loved us and gave himself for us. And although we're not what we may yet be, we're so grateful that we're not what we once were. We, ex we have experienced your wonderful grace in our lives. And we thank you for one another gathered here this evening, all our brothers and sisters, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.